0: Welcome everybody to another installment of Super Upper Punch Season 2 and calling in all the way from somewhere with a lot more sun and a lot less snow is Rob from McDojo Life. Rob, how you doing, man?
1: Wonderful, brother. How's it going?
0: I'm doing great. Doing great. Thank you for being patient with us uh, through the technical difficulties and everything. Uh, so uh, first off, uh, thank you for being on. I kind of reached out to you uh, out of the blue on Instagram because I saw you had recently trained with a couple friends of ours, friends of the show, um, Jaime and Humberto from uh, Chop and Chops while you were visiting New York. How was that experience?
1: No, those dudes are great. They were really hospitable. Like every gym I go to is a little different. Um but they like they knew who I was as soon as I walked in the door, and they were like they were really awesome, and I welcomed them with open arms there. I actually uh I really like training with those dudes because there's no egos over there. Everybody's just there to have a good time and learn. So it was it was a good time training with them for sure.
0: Yeah, they have a really unique gym experience in that that uh it's uh they kind of present themselves almost as cartoon characters to a lot of the guys that uh, walk in there, and it's very disarming once you step in. Yeah. A lot of gyms it's it's all about uh. You know, like having that bravado and everything uh right from jump, but they they seem to to check their egos at the door and it makes it easy for everybody else to do the same,
1: yeah, it was it was nice like as soon as I came in, like uh you know he offered me to take a class, and you know like sometimes like in the class and stuff, I just you know depending on the studio, I just don't, I'll just watch and observe the class, um but everybody was real cool, and I was like, you know what I got my key. So I just tossed on to my G and then as soon as I was done with that, I just went ahead and stayed for the striking program that they had to had a good time with that. Um, you know, every time I go to New York, I'm probably going to swing by those guys because those guys are great.
0: Nice. Nice. So do you do that a lot when you're uh, traveling to different places? You just find any local gym or a particularly smaller? Everywhere
1: gyms? I go. Everywhere I go. If I, uh, it all depends. Um, so if I'm going to a city for a specific reason, Like, um, which I'm always going for a specific reason, but if I'm going to like find a studio that is negligent, I guess you could say, um, then I usually put my focus on going there first and making sure that that training happens um, before I go try to get my own training in. So that sometimes can hinder my own training, but usually I stay in a city for like two or three days anyway. So I'll go, I'll set up a free trial with one of these crazy people. I'll take their free trial class, record it, and then I'll go train on my own just so I can enjoy it.
0: Oh, okay. So you're, you're particularly trying to find, uh, basically more content. You're trying to find the crazies, trying to find the fakes and the frauds.
1: Yeah. Like right now it's like, it's a, it's a odd case study, I guess you could say. So pretty much what I'm doing is I'm making a website currently and I'm making a documentary. So the documentary, the only reason I'm making that is because so many people said, oh my God, you need to go inside these dojos and call them out. So I was like, well, that's what people want. So I went ahead and just started filming that and we have our um, we're about to do like a big push for crowdfunding here soon. Um, if it gets picked up by a network, the network will take care of the funding, but if not, we're going to move to crowdfunding. Um, so we're making our sizzle reel and stuff like that for the documentary so we can get the rest of the footage that we want. Um, and then I'm making a website right now, which is going to be basically like a Carfax for martial arts studios. Oh, wow. How so they- like before you sign up as a consumer, the average consumer who's buying martial arts are purchasing lessons and classes, usually the only question that they know to ask is how much does it cost? Well, that's usually not the most important question. It seems like it it is an important question, but it's really not the most important. Like questions like, are you federally and locally background checked? Do you have CPR certification? Is there an IED um, or the uh, defibrillator inside your studio? You know, um, uh, what's your lineage? All these questions are questions that the average consumer would not know to ask. Um, And I think that those are very important things to ask. So the website will basically be whenever you go to sign up for a martial arts studio, you can pull up the information to see if they've cleared all of those things.
0: And that this is something that you're just starting to build up right now, or is this something that has been in the works for quite a while?
1: We've been been working on it. Like the hardest part was trying to figure out what the standards should be. Uh. Like that's taken years because you have to figure every martial art is a little different with what they teach and how they teach it. So what is and what is not standard across the board for every martial art is a very difficult thing to do, which is why I think right now there is no regula- regulatory body for the martial arts at all. Like there, there's like organizations, but they usually only look out for their own art. And then most of the time, like especially in karate, taekwondo type organizations, they're only looking out for their studios in particular, not the art.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: the idea is to make it so that way there's a standard across the board for every martial arts studio, no matter what you do. So that way people know what they're getting themselves into before they start.
0: That's a lot and of groundwork.
1: shut people down. I just want people to make their own decisions with information that they should be readily available to them.
0: Yeah, and that, that's a lot of groundwork that you would have to cover for if you're trying to cover literally every single dojo and gym across the board. Uh, is, is, is there a certain plan of attack that you have to, to uh, vet all these gyms?
1: Well, we started with the the five rules so when i started mcdojo life i gave myself five very standard rules at first there were a lot more rules but over the over the course of time i've been able to narrow them down to five and basically the five rules are you shouldn't have a pedophile inside a martial arts studio i think that's pretty standard across the board i think everybody can agree pedophiles should not be around children
0: you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that disagrees on that one
1: (laughs) exactly right so that's that's rule number one and believe it or not there are tons of studios that have pedophiles with kids. Oh gosh! Like there's a place called Warriors Cove. This dude admitted guilt to molesting a 15 year old girl. He pled guilty to it. He owns three studios and still teaches kids.
0: Mm-mm. As somebody that teaches kids, myself, in, in public schools. That's that's to to know how damaging that is because these kids are are trusting you so much. They put so much faith in you. And then to just take advantage of that faith, that's, man, that's dark.
1: You know, and like the dude, even, he went so far as to make his own website specifically based off those charges to try to explain his side of the story. I don't give a shit what your side of the story is. You pled guilty. You admitted guilt to molesting a child. That's game over. You can explain whatever the fuck you want. There's nothing right about that. So... To me, sorry, you don't deserve a seat at the table. you got to go do something else. Go make a, do, do adult shit. Go open up a strip club. Go open up a bar, but don't teach kids. Or open up a martial arts studio strictly adults. No children allowed within X amount of feet of the building. Let people know that you did this, but don't hide it, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So uh, I I realized that we kind of put the cart before the horse. We didn't even uh, properly introduce you and what you do. Could you uh, tell the people uh, what exactly it is that you do? Because we do have some listeners that aren't adjacent to the martial arts. Exactly.
1: Okay, I got you. Yeah. So um, I'm Rob. I'm with McDojo Life and McDojo Life basically is an entity um, online and it's been growing over the years. I have about 300,000 followers right now between all my social medias. Um, and what I do is I call out fakes, frauds, and ponies in the martial arts community. So anybody who's taking advantage of people, breaking the five rules we start talking about, those are the kind of things I call out.
0: And what are those five rules again? So the first one is uh, no pedophiles, of course. No and pedophiles. And what's the other one. The second
1: one is don't lie about your belt rank or your fight record. Like if you're an O&O boxer, you've never, taken a box- you've never done boxing before and you're teaching boxing, I don't give a shit as long as you're honest. You know, you're teaching boxing classes? Cool. Have you ever been in a boxing match? No. Okay, well, you're honest about it. And then people can make their own decisions. But then if there's a guy who's like, yeah, I'm a blue belt, or I'm a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and then you look at him and he starts to roll or he starts to teach you and he doesn't have any lineage, he has no clue what he's talking about, and he made it up and lied about it, well, now you're putting people's lives in danger because they're taking your word as the gospel. And whenever you start teaching them things, what they're going to do is they're going to look at you as the figurehead for them and they're going to go, well, my instructor's a badass, and he taught me how to do this, and it doesn't work. Mm. Um, so lying about your belt rank and fight records is number two. Uh, number three, no-touch knockouts. You can't <laughs> knock someone out with your mind. <laughs> That's not a thing. That's not real. And there's these thousands and thousands and thousands. Actually, as a matter of fact, I think there's probably over hundreds of thousands of people who believe in this stuff. You would think not, but yes. <laughs> like after five years of doing this specifically this um yeah, probably about a hundred thousand people if not more believe that you can knock people out with your mind
0: and that um, seems to be so the that's biggest the thing three. that seems to be the biggest thing on your Instagram page. so many people are are claiming to be these masters of no touch knockouts and and I'm always shocked to see how many people just blindly believe that and buy into that
1: you know and that's there's a little bit to that too, you know like um there, I think there's a lot of psychology and there's a lot of, like, sales that's involved with that kind of stuff. I, I don't think that people start off like that, like, all gung-ho, 100% on that kind of stuff. I think it's a slow brainwashing. And, it's you know, we all would like to think that we don't get brainwashed or taken advantage of, right? We're all too smart or we're all too strong for that. We get taken advantage of all the goddamn time. People buy shit they can't afford every day. That's why we have credit cards. People buy, like, uh, candy bars at the end of – of aisles because the candy bar is readily available. Somebody was smart enough to go, hey, I bet you if I put a candy bar at the end of the checkout line at the register, people will buy it. You just got fucked mentally. Sorry, drop the up on that. You hey, it's all right, t- it's the t- internet. You can say
0: whatever you want. You.
1: you know, so somebody already figured out that psychology of how to take advantage of you. So we're getting taken advantage of all the time and we let it happen. But then we look at this, these people and we think they're crazy. They're not crazy, they're being taken advantage of. You know, now there might be naive, they might be looking for something we're not looking for, like a mentor, uh, guidance, a uh, group to belong to, but not everybody joins the martial arts just because they want to learn how to fight.
0: Yeah, so, so uh, you think it has more to do with, like, the slow burn of just, like, wearing on you or just, like, like just touching the right things or, like, saying uh, the right things at the right time that kind of gets this cult-like following for them?
1: Um. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's really, really deep. So like, let's say, for instance, uh, I guess I'm assuming you guys train, right?
0: Yes, yes, I do. Our, my okay, producer so, does not, but uh, we'll get to him in just a little bit.
1: That's cool. So you, you train. Where do you train at?
0: Uh, I train at uh, Master Sky Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I also box at various boxing gyms all throughout the city.
1: So when you walked into your particular Jiu-Jitsu gym, right, you walked in there most likely looking for something right? It could have been weight loss. It could have been, man, you know, I need to get in shape. It could have been, man, I want to learn how to defend myself. It could have been jujitsu specifically as well. Right? So, but you walked in there for a reason. That reason usually is not the reason you stay because you can learn jujitsu fucking anywhere. You can just go down the street and learn jujitsu. There might be a place right around the corner from you that's more convenient. There might be a place that's like a better team across the street, but there's a reason you stay with that team. And it usually has nothing to do with the digestive. It has usually everything to do with the instructor is very personable. I enjoy the company. I like the people who are around me. I feel like it's giving me these added benefits. I would rather be at this gym because they're providing me with all these other things that I was looking for as well. So when you look at these people who are joining martial arts, cults, as I like to think they are, they're usually going looking for something specific, but that's not why they stay. You know? And then basically all these leaders have to do is just convince you to stay by providing you with whatever stimulus it was that you were looking for extra.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, it's like they, they pull you in with that first hook of, of what do you want to train in martial arts for? And then after that, they can slowly infect through uh, everything else, maybe the community, maybe personality going on from that.
1: Exactly. It's, it's just slow but surely like drawing you in. Like any other cult, you know, if you look at the, uh, the Jim Jones cult, mm. um, those people, do you think that they really started that cult going, you know what? I can't wait to drink this Kool-Aid to be shot by AK-47, you know? <laughs> like, no, they started because the guy was providing them with the things that he said that they wanted or they said they wanted, you know? And that's as easy as any gym you go into. I mean, shit, If I uh, if the first thing you do is walk into my gym. And I hand you a fitness assessment form. And I say, would you do this a uh, favor and fill this out for me? And then we go over that fitness assessment form. That a form usually is not for you. It's for the studio. Yes. Because they're gathering information on how to sell you. You know, like, for instance, uh, there, if, if you've been in sales for uh, martial arts or gyms, there are five main objections that people are going to give you every time before you sign them up. Do you know what they are?
0: Uh, I, I do remember some of them. Usually it's a price. Um, it's uh, Schedule, I think, is one of them. Uh, damn, it's been so long since I've been in sales. Um, it's a good fit. Uh, I can't remember the other two.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you, you nailed them on the head so far. It's uh, money, time, location. I have to talk to my spouse. I have to think about it. Uh, yes. So those are always the five that you're going to get before someone signs up, which is really funny because most of the time with martial arts, you're not getting cold calls. Like, they called you, they scheduled a class with you, they came to you, so they already want to buy what it is that you're selling. They're looking for it openly. But a lot of people have a hard time pulling the trigger on commitment, especially people who are overweight, because that's a very big step in their life. That's going to require commitment and time and effort that they haven't put into their life up to this point. So as a coach, a good coach, your job is to guide them into the direction of losing weight. Well, the only way I can do that is I have to get you to sign that contract. And in order to get you to sign that contract, I have to be good at sales. So I have to sell you. Now, that would be cool if I was actually trying to help you, right? That'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. I made you pull the trigger on something that's going to better your life. But those exact same sales taxes can be used by people who are going to take advantage of you.
0: Yeah, it shows you just how insidious it could be right from the jump. Uh, you know, the second that they, they start greeting you, Uh, they're already picking you apart to find out what's the vulnerability, what's the opening that I can exploit to get this person to stay here and then, you know, continue to spend money.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Like my, um, my sales percentage record is an average of 70%. So 70% of the people that walk through the door in any martial arts studio I've ever worked at, I sold them, I got them to sign up and I am probably mediocre at it. Now, imagine somebody who's much more charismatic, who's been doing it for a lot longer, who knows the system a lot better than I do, who's getting like 80, 85 sales percentages, and they're getting all those people to sign up, and then they're good at retention. They can get, let's say, 70, 80 percent of those students to stay. Well, now they're building uh, a cult, a real following, and they can continue to make those people instructors and to build and grow, and they're doing it not based off of martial arts. Because no one cares about the martial arts part. They're doing it based off of the fact that they're good at sales.
0: Wow. Uh, and and it, it sounds like, too, that uh, uh, just from that same perspective, it it doesn't always necessarily need to be someone that is doing even fake martial arts. It could be somebody that is a legitimate uh, uh black belts and uh, you know they have a legitimate record and they're teaching actual technique but uh, because they're so ruthless in their sales it, it does seem like there's a lot of um, I'm, I'm, negativity I guess would be the word um, but it, it's just it feels too clinical almost in the way that it's just a business transaction and less of a community right?
1: Yeah well the best business model I've ever seen for martial arts studios is probably the simplest one which is just give a shit. <laughs> I know that sounds like a very simple, simplified business model, but it's the truth. Like if you actually genuinely care about your students' well-being, that is, goes the farthest. Like for instance, if you, if you care about people who walk through your door, you just like anything else, you will take the time to learn the techniques to get them to sign up for your studio. If not, why are you in business? The point of opening a business is to make money. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you're transparent about it. You know, like, these are my prices. If somebody calls you on the phone, one of the old school business tactics was to never give away prices on the phone.
0: Yes, I remember that.
1: But the problem with that is is that you wind up getting shitty clients, and there are shitty clients, (laughs) right? Because if I don't tell you the price on the phone, and you call me, and I get you to come in for a free trial, now that's going to cost me maybe 30 minutes to an hour of my life, including the paperwork that it took for me to get you in my system, write your name on the calendar, whatever, right? Then you come in, then I sell you on something you can't possibly afford, and you wind up saying no anyway, Mm -hmm. well, that wastes an hour, maybe two hours of my life. That's valuable time. So if I just tell you the prices on the phone and I'm transparent, I'll get better clients, clients who are willing to pay what I'm offering. As a matter of fact, one of the best ways to weed out shitty clients is to charge for your trial. Charge 10 bucks for your first trial. Five bucks. Charge something, and then you'll get better clients. Because... Can, it's funny because people are like, oh, there should always be a free trial in a martial arts studio. No, the fuck there shouldn't. <laughs> no, there shouldn't. Uh, who, in it, who in their life just gives away everything that they do for free and makes a living off of it? You know? Nobody. If like, somebody was like, hey, man, I noticed you're a mechanic. Will you come work on my car for free? like Just do a free trial. Just work on my car first. Then I'll pay you after. No. No business works that way. Yet all these martial arts studios who are good, talented martial artists, they're giving away their product for free over and over and over again, wasting their time, wasting their money, wasting their efforts. And then they wonder why their studio closes.
0: Hmm. So uh, interesting you touch on that because uh, uh, one of our former guests or two of our former guests uh, run uh, Master Sky Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which, is, as I said, where I train at. And uh, their gym is has a unique uh, model in that it's all donation based, which allows people to uh, pay whatever they can and people that have more money can pay. And the people that can't uh, can pay uh, as much as they possibly can, um, whether that be a lot or a little bit. Um, so what do you think that makes that different from places that give away their services for free so often right up front?
1: Well, I have to imagine that if you're, ba- if you're like, let's say for instance, you're competing, right? Why do you compete?
0: Oh, there's so many reasons. Uh, countless. I mean, to win, I, I would assume for most people, or to learn, exactly. or to just see your progression. You
1: compete because you would like to win. You would, it would be great to be up on the podium. But you know there are added benefits if you don't. Right. Mm-hmm. I'll learn a lot. You know, I'll be able to put my stuff under pressure whenever I'm nervous. I'll find out what I can do, how I can think under that type of pressure, under that stress. You know, I can compare myself against people who are not necessarily at my, my studio. There's a lot of benefits, right? But the top one is you would like to win. That's why people train for tournaments, right? So why do people open up businesses? To make money. Exactly. You open up a business to make money. Most of the time, if people are donation-based or they're non-for-profit, that's not their goal. Mm-hmm. They have other means of income. I have to assume that they have other means of income.
0: That's a good point. I mean, I'm not sure about these guys. They they might really just love jujitsu, but um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah it's for really most easy people. to love
1: jujitsu when you live in a cardboard box.
0: <laughs> you know what
1: I'm saying? <laughs> like, yay, I love jujitsu, but I'm fucking broken, my studio closes down. You yeah. know, I have to assume that they have other means of income. And the thing about opening up a business is your goal of a business is to make money. If you didn't want to make money, don't open a business.
2: Mm-hmm. Do a
1: non for profit. Do a, a donation-based thing, right? Do that, because then you can keep that integrity that you would like to have. There's nothing wrong with making money. Like, uh, a lot of people have a stigma about it. You go to your job every day so you can make money, and no one blinks an eye, right? But when martial artists try to make money, everybody's, like, oh, my God, integrity. No, there's nothing wrong with making money doing what you do.
0: Hmm. Uh, so, uh, going back to the, uh, the five uh, points, you mentioned the first three. What were the other two?
1: Uh, let's see here. We talked about no touch knockouts.
0: Yes, that was the last uh, one. We talked we about mentioned.
1: pedophiles and lying about your belt rank and your fight record. Yes. Uh, another one is shady business practices, mm-hmm. which goes into what we were just talking about, right? Yeah, there you go. Um, so one of the shadiest ones I've seen is uh, they'll hold your belt testings based around your contract time. Ah, uh, um, yes. So um, you'll see this a lot in Taekwondo, Karate schools, um, some Jiu Jitsu academies I've seen, uh, but basically there's usually about a timeline for how long it takes you to get promoted. Now that's based off a lot of factors, but of course most of that has to do with your attendance. Are Mm -hmm. you showing up? Are you being consistent? So if I can mark that and say, let's say on average the average martial arts student drops out over about a year or a year and a half for jujitsu, that's where the blue belts disappear. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Um, For every other martial art, it could be whatever belt, but it's usually about a year, year and a half. Once people sign up, Um, I already know you're going to drop out at about that time. So it behooves me, if I'm trying to be shady, to basically wrap your belt testings around your contract time. Mm -hmm. So your belt testing is about to come up in a month. Well, guess what happens this month? Your contract expires. Hey, man, I just want to get you to your next belt, Uh, your testing's next week, but hey, let's go ahead and get our contract signed so I can get you to your testing. Well, then now I have you for another year. And in Taekwondo, certain Taekwondo studios – it's about two years to get your black belt. Mm. So then right about the time you're about to test for your black belt, guess what happened to your contract? Uh, Time expired. (laughs) So what I do is I go, Hey man, your black belt test is in about a month. Let's go and re-sign up real fast so I can get you to your testing. Now I got you for three years. And, uh, it was all based off of me just strategically placing belt testings around contract lengths and times.
0: What would you say to those that say that, um, that, that combat that by saying something like, uh, you know, they're, they're doing that because they, not necessarily they want to keep them there for money, but because they want to continue to encourage them to get to that next goal. What, and that might not be the best excuse, but it is something that somebody could say.
1: I mean, they could say a lot of things, right? And then at that point, I would say, why not just make your contracts two years instead of a year? Mm. Like if you're going to be that way, right? How about, how about let's get them month to month and you consistently make them feel like they're learning something and growing with a month-to-month contract how come they don't provide that you know those kind of things um are kind of important like i don't think there's anything wrong with a contract because i think that it keeps lights on um i think that a lot of people have commitment issues and the fact remains is that whenever people whoever pays you the least amount of money is going to be your biggest problems that's always how it goes somebody walks into your studio you go here's the prices they go hey man I can't really afford that. Could you give me a deal? And once you give them that deal, they will want another one. They -hmm. will fuck you over. They won't pay you on time. The people who pay you the most money are usually your best clients. It's just Hmm. a fact.
0: That's very interesting. I've I've worked at several gyms now that, um, uh, some of them have, have been in neighborhoods that have a lot of money and some not so much. And, um, I've noticed that, uh, for the most part that that has been true now that i'm in retrospect um not always true there has been some rich assholes out there but for the most part oh yeah
1: definitely i can understand that for sure yeah
0: <laughs> so what's the uh, the last thing the last thing you're looking for in these gyms
1: um unsafe training practices like, of course so, um obviously in the martial arts there's going to be some stuff which is why you sign a waiver that you know you there's risk involved you're doing get to, You could like literally step on the mat and twist your ankle, right? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it's unsafe. It just means you tripped. Well, certain practices are very unsafe. For instance, there's uh, videos of people who are lined up in a line against the brick wall, and the instructor has gloves on, and they have their hands down, and he just cracks them in the head as hard as he can over and over and over again by punching him in the head.
0: I've seen that and one. And he goes
1: down the line doing this. Ugh. That's not safe. That doesn't help you. It's not making you better at anything. It just makes you a dick, you know? And you're going to wind up ending up messing with people's heads, man. Getting hit in the head like that consistently over and over and over again without doing anything about it, your brain's rattling around in there, dude. Like, that's not safe. You know, that's not healthy for you. Or another one that I've seen, an instructor has, like, a hard stick. And every time you do something wrong, he hits you in the leg or the arm or the head with a stick.
0: I, like, I saw that you one. you hit
1: me with a stick, we are going to fucking fight. You uh, know? Like, man. how about you just tell me what I need to do to correct
0: Man, I, I saw that one, uh, I believe, on your page. And, and he was doing that to kids as well, right?
1: Yeah, he was doing it to pretty much everybody in the studio. Oh, God. So anybody that wasn't doing what they were supposed to. I mean, he wasn't even being nice about it. He was hitting them hard. It wasn't a joke. Like, he hit this one dude in the head repeatedly with a stick. And, like, it's not one of those, like, little, like, oh, bamboo, baton sticks. It's one of them, like, hard, like, stick sticks. Like, damn.
0: God, God. That is, that is rough. And and I did see the uh, the video of the uh, guy just bashing people's heads in too with the, with the gloves and they're just standing there taking it. I mean, I've seen, um, uh, doing people doing it to the body. I know in boxing, like people will do that for conditioning, but I mean, the, you, you can't condition the chin, you know, that that's just, yeah, you can't condition your brain. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: like your brain's still going to rattle around there. Like your body conditioning is way different, yeah. much more safe and actually kind of necessary. It's kind of like conditioning your shins. Well, your brain is not located inside your shins.
0: Yeah, it's 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 really weird how how people even with all the research that's been done on CTE that people will still think it's okay for something like that to happen.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't understand it and like, you know, again, they're being sold on the fact that that works. Somebody convinced them like, "Hey, you're going to stand here and take this cuz it's good for you." You know, it's a, it's a form of brainwashing.
0: That's crazy, man. So so this skepticism for martial arts or this, this like, uh, critical eye, uh, when did this start for you? Obviously, uh, actually before we even get into that, where did martial arts in general start for you?
1: Well, I've been training for about 21 years of my life. I started when I was 12 and, uh, you know, I was born with a cleft palate, so I have scars on my face. And as a child, I was going through a lot of surgeries. So I was consistently had bandages or scars that were fresh, um, from surgeries. And uh, I was picked on, beat up pretty much all through school. And then when middle school happened, uh, I got jumped by a group of kids. There was like six kids. They uh, stabbed me with pencils. They stepped on my head. They kicked wow. me in the face. They, they just jumped me. They beat the shit out of me. Two teachers stood there and watched the whole thing and didn't do anything about it. Um, the rule at the time was the teachers were not allowed to intervene in the fight because it was the officer on duty's job. Well, the officer on duty at that time was breaking up another fight at the other end of the campus. So I got beaten for five minutes, and I got, had to go to the hospital for a couple days. Um, a friend of mine handed me a card for karate, and he goes, you need this. And so my birthday was about a month away. My mom gave it to me as a, uh, as a birthday gift, signed me up for a year, and here we are. Uh, next month will be 22 years in the arts.
0: Wow, wow. And uh, was it uh, primarily karate, or was there other martial arts that you branched out to uh, after a while? And uh, what else are you training in currently?
1: Well, I started in karate. So I'm a third-degree black belt in karate. Um, and then I started doing a weapon system. Not too many people have heard of it. It basically just means I could do nunchucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's called Lissa Jodo. It's a weapon system. Um, and then I am a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, 6-0 amateur boxer, 4-2 amateur kickboxer. And I traveled on a, a sport martial arts team called Team Full Circle for two years.
0: Uh, was that like uh, like the exhibition teams and doing like uh, all the choreography no, and stuff like, like that? It was
1: basically like a kickboxing team. So uh, we were okay. on the... The, the circuits, like the sport karate circuits, like the Waco, ah, the IKF, nice. the NASCA. So, um, the same circuits that Michael Benham Page, Stephen Thompson, uh, Raymond Daniels, all those guys fought on, that was the circuit we were on.
0: Nice, nice. Very, very cool. And, and I have seen a lot of your uh, nunchuck videos online, and every time I'm, I'm, I just get scared because I know every nunchuck that I've ever picked up has eventually found its way to the back of my head or the front of my face. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, yeah, very like, humbled every time it's I see that. one
1: of those that. skills, like it's fun, and it, like, it, I, whenever I'm in my office. No, it's not again, fun. Don't, do lie,
0: don't lie to people. It's, it's not fun. <laughs> it hurts. It's painful. <laughs>
1: I love it, man. It lets me like relax. Like, I just pick them up, because it's one of those skills, like, when the fuck are you ever going to have to defend yourself with a pair of nunchucks? Like, don't mug me. Hold on. I have these (laughs) nunchucks. Like, never. But the cool thing about it is it was a system to help you understand angles of attack, and nunchucks just happen to be one of the most awkward weapons to actually use. So if you can do that, what's stopping me from grabbing a stick and doing the same thing? Mm. It's just easier with the stick. (laughs)
0: So when you were first training, uh, did you have this skepticism or critical eye then? Were you looking at things, trying to pick things apart, and find flaws in it even at that time?
1: No, when I started, I was 12, so I was just trying to like get through puberty and not get beat up in school. <laughs> um, just trying to make it out alive, man. Um, but uh, when it came to uh, skepticism and stuff like that, I don't think I was really skeptical because I wasn't introduced. To, I, of course, like, 1993, I think, changed everybody's life in the martial arts. Of course. Um, you know, I think I think that was the first time my eyes were open. Because up to that point, everybody was like, jiu-jitsu's gay. <laughs> you know? Like, it was all—everybody was so segregated, which people still are kind of segregated. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not you know, used to. That
0: people are still saying that today. I mean, I teach at high schools, and uh, half the kids are super interested in grappling. The other kids are like, I don't want to be about that gay shit with kids rolling on top of each other. So— yeah, yeah, this isn't a used to thing. It's still alive and well right now.
1: Yeah, man, like, it, you know, like, and some of the most, like, uh, dangerous people on the planet are the grapplers, man. You know, the sambo guys, the judo guys, the jiu-jitsu guys, the high school wrestlers even. You know, when somebody gets their hands on you and they know what they're doing, it's a scary fucking thing if you don't know what you're doing, you mm-hmm. know? Because you're like, oh, I just beat his ass. Oh, why am I in the air? Oh, yeah. why am I on my head? Why are you on top of me? <laughs> you know, and then it's like, well, now you have dominant position. And then, like, all I need to do is have, like, a few tools in my toolbox that you don't, and the game is over. If I know a solid double, right, and I know how to pass guard, and I know how to mount, and I know how to handle and control mount and back mount, the game over. You know, because if you look at all the old Gracie Challenge videos, pretty standard, <laughs> you know, like, uh, keep distance with the front kick. And then once, the, once they come in and hit, try to rip your head off, you shoot in the, the double or the single. Then you control, get to the mount eventually they roll over and you take their back and you choke them out. You know, like life now isn't that much different unless you're dealing with a, another practitioner. But people don't know what to do when they're on the, on the ground with somebody who knows what they're doing.
0: Yeah, and it seems like uh, uh, even in those those early uh, Gracie videos and even until now, it's always the same several submissions. It's always arm bars, uh, rear naked chokes, triangle chokes and maybe a guillotine and that's about it so all these exotic submissions that everyone's trying to go for gogo platas and loco plaza electric chairs i'm like you don't need that shit just just do the basics and and look look every fight always ends in those
1: yeah it's like it's funny because gogo plata is like my favorite submission that i can never pull off (laughs) i'm like all right i can chill and i can get this arm bar right i'm on my back But go-go plot, and then they pass my guard like shit. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) But I can't help it, man. It's like like you you see the apple, and it's a low-hanging fruit, and you're like, I can just take that. But then you see, like, the mango. It's a little higher, but it's more delicious. (laughs) So I always reach for the mango like an idiot and get, like, crushed.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. I've been there so many times to try to be a little bit too fancy, and then I get turned into a human ninja star. Somebody tosses me across the room. Yeah, it sucked. <laughs> so, uh, McDojo Life, uh, how did that start? Were you already finding these videos and, like, compiling them for yourself? Or uh, did it kind of happen organically? Or was it, like, a kind of a planned thing?
1: Well, like, I, um, I, um, years ago, there was a guy named Jack Hogan. And this is actually a video Joe Rogan shared that I had posted once. Um, but Jack Hogan was one of those people who was, like, kind of in the George Dillman type arena where he believes he can knock people out with his mind
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: that guy actually lives in Jacksonville, Florida. Well, he did. He passed away a few years ago, but um, he lived in Jacksonville, Florida. Well, my instructor and him were actually friends. My instructor didn't believe any of that shit, but you know how you always have like that one asshole friend. You're like, at least he's our asshole. So you put up with some of the stuff they do and that was kind of their friendship. You know, he didn't believe in his martial arts, but you know, they got along they hung out. And so, That guy came into the studio one time when it was just me and my instructor, and he walks in, and he looks at me, or he looks at my instructor, and he goes, hey, man, I learned this new way to knock somebody out. I've been dying to try it. And of course, my instructor, being who he is, was like, oh, hey, Rob, come here. He wants to try something. I was like, oh, well, that sucks. So he basically cups his hand, makes like a little cup with his hand, and he slaps me in the back of the neck harder than I've ever been slapped. slapped me so damn hard. Um, And it hurt. But I didn't even feel close to being knocked out. And he was like, oh, it must not have worked. <laughs> and so he does it again. <laughs> he slaps me in the back of the neck again. I was like, all right, that hurt, but it's not knocking me out. He goes, huh. And he looks so puzzled as if this was supposed to work the first time. <laughs> like, oh, well, he blamed himself. Like, maybe I didn't do it right. I got to practice some more. <laughs> but that was like my first like, look into that kind of like, thing where somebody believes something that just not, doesn't work that way. Um, and then uh, we'll flash forward years and years and years, about five years ago, you know, I'm uh, doing jujitsu, and all the guys are done with class. And we're all shooting shit and we're talking about McDojos. And one of the new guys after class, I guess, during the conversation, doesn't really say anything. But afterwards, he comes up to me and he goes, hey, what's a McDojo? And we explain, I explained to him, I was like, hey, it's, uh, you know, fake sports, phonies, people who are just giving out belts for no reason, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, well, how come people don't do anything about that? And I was like, huh, that's a good question. And then I explained to him like, well, there's no regulating body to the martial arts. Like it's not regulated. You can pretty much do whatever you want. You can literally come off of death pro. Like okay, you murdered somebody. All right, cool. You're done. They let you out of prison, right? You could be a 57 time rapist and you got out of prison for some reason and open up a martial arts studio and no one's going to blink an eye. Mm-hmm. So it was, there's really no regulating body. And, uh, Most of that, I think, is because most martial artists can't get along with other martial arts.
0: Yeah, it's it's really they don't want
1: to. They don't want to team up to make things better. They want their art to be better. Like, oh, jujitsu is better than you guys, so we're just going to form our own organization Hmm. and handle our own shit. And then karate guys are like, karate's better, so we're going to just do karate and we're not going to worry about you guys. Well, the problem is, is when you start uh, like um, segregating yourself out so much, is that you're not paying attention to the other people who are taking advantage of your arts
2: Mm -hmm. you know
1: it's like we're all hanging out in a pool and some random dude like walks up to the pool and not even getting in but just stands off to the side starts pissing in it (laughs) would you say something you know because this is our pool we're all hanging out in the same pool and then this guy starts pissing in it and no one says anything well now there's another guy who walks up sees this guy doing it and he starts doing it next thing you know there are more people pissing in your pool than actually hanging out in it And now it's diluted. And now what you guys are going to do is get out of the pool because these guys are in charge of it now. And that's kind of what's going on.
0: Uh, do, you, do you think that there are some gyms that unfairly get the McDojo moniker? I know that uh, for a while it was Tiger Shulman's. Everybody was shitting on Tiger Shulman's. And then uh, people like Jimmy Rivera show like, oh, no, this shit is legit. There's, there's some guys that, that actually can hang out of Tiger Shulman's. So maybe it's not as as much of a McDojo as as previously thought. Well, I see,
1: I don't base McDojo stuff off of skill. Because skill is up to interpretation. Like, skill for what? Mm. You know, like, are we talking about compared to who? Like, because there is no real comparison from person to person. Like, for instance, here's a, here's a funny one. Like, there's a reason that belt rank isn't on my fi- my list of five for what makes a dojo.
2: Mm-hmm. If
1: you want to give out a belt in a year for a black belt, you have fun. Because that isn't, can't, can't be something that's a standard. There's no way to make that a standard. Because we can look at BJJ and go, hey, man, it should take you at least 8 to 15 years or whatever to get your black belt. But what about BJ Penn?
0: hmm yes.
1: You know, so if it's a standard, then no matter what he did, his ass should have still had to wait. But that's not the standard, and that's not how it works. But then we look at Taekwondo and go, they got their black belt in two years. And we laugh at that, but then we can't laugh at BJ Penn. You go, know, oh, well, he proved himself. To who? In his art? I'm guarantee you there are Taekwondo guys who do the same thing. You're telling me that if you stepped up in front of Michael Benham Page, he's not gonna kick your face off your head? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, um, you know, the standards are really difficult because each art is different. And really the only difference between art to art isn't so much um, what they're teaching. It's, it's the emphasis and what they're putting on. So, like, for instance, boxing, they're teaching you how to punch. The means to the end is me to hit you and you get knocked out or I drop you. Like jujitsu, jitsu position, transition, submission, right? That's the means to the end. And that's usually how you can spot a legitimate yeah. art. If there is no means to an end, that's probably not good art.
0: Interesting. So uh, it, it, when you see these videos online of uh, these fake martial arts, are you ever wondering why these people would put them up? Because it, it's they're, they're exposing it for the entire world to, to scrutinize. And they have to know, some part of them has to know that it's bullshit. What do you think is motivating them to... to put this stuff
1: online they believe it they, they 100% believe what they're putting out
0: they buy their own bullshit you think so 9 times out of 10 yeah
1: wow. look at what's going on in uh, China I'm sure you know about that guy
0: yes He's yes challenging
1: these, these masters right why are they accepting the fights
0: man it, it, it's crazy every time and they always get destroyed I recently fought the Tai Chi guy right yep And man
1: but they accept the fights because they believe they can win they believe it. Like they, In their heart, they truly believe it. And that's the, the most interesting thing of all about all this is because as a sane human being, you can sit back and look at this and go, man, that's never going to work. But that's not where they're residing. Their mentality is not there. They really believe it. You know who's a great example of that is look at Steven Seagal.
0: Mm, oh, yes. He's probably the king so, of that.
1: Yeah. So the thing about Steven Seagal, one, I personally would not want to fight this dude. Not gonna lie, the guy's fucking huge. All right, so we can all laugh at to skull, but that's a big motherfucker. Just saying. All right, <laughs> way bigger than me. Um, but at the same time, his ego is so big, and it was it's allowed to be flourished that way that he just started buying into his shit. You know, I'm sure he was an asshole first. You know, like he probably you know a keto guy back in the '80s. His movies were the shit. You can't tell me that uh, Under Siege wasn't fucking awesome. You know, <laughs> great movies, right? Yes, but then. He, people start telling him this over and over and over and over again. He starts believing it, and then he becomes an asshole. And then you know, then his, his art just starts to get watered down because why does he need to train? He already knows everything. You know, Steven Seagal doesn't kill a man. He just looks at them, and they kill themselves. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's weird. But um, you know, why train whenever you have that much ego? And that's the problem. You have to be a student first. You have to be under that, that constant understanding that you don't know everything. Someone can teach you something, and they don't have that.
0: See, I always thought it was more like uh, when a guy gets caught in a lie from his girlfriend, he was like talking to another girl, and he just has to commit to that lie, even though he knows it's bullshit. He's like, I just have to keep on going with the lie until the wheels fall off. Uh, that's, I, yeah, exactly. It's like you have to accept the challenge no matter what, and then when you get into that fight, you have to hope that you knock them out. Just like throw, You have a puncher's chance.
1: It's a, uh, I, I agree with the perpetuated lie, <laughs> you know, they say it once and then they have to stick with it. And now they're stuck with it, you know, especially when you get to a certain point of being so in the spotlight or so famous, you know, like, what are you going to do? Like uh, coming clean would probably be the best. You know, I think there's only been a couple people who were able to do that in their life. Mike Tyson, you know, his, his life was a fucking wreck. Mm-hmm. Like we all got to watch it happen, you know? He got to watch every little bad piece of shit that he did as a human being. But one thing he never really compromised on was his art. You know? So you gotta respect that at least.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and in in recent years, just hearing him talk about that and the open openness and honesty that he has for it and, and the the self awareness from it. And it seems like he had it even then, but it's just that that a persona he had to be so committed to it. Um, it really makes you think of just like what the, the psyche of someone like that especially during that time when he was Iron Mike and like you know what goes through a mind like that
1: yeah man if you look like I think George Dillman's probably an example of somebody who fell under that because like back in the the 70s George Dillman was like Black Belt Magazine covers he was like the karate guy right mm-hmm. and he had pictures with Muhammad Ali he had pictures with Bruce Lee like, he was one of those guys that was kind of like A-list martial artist, right? Well, then, is, of course, what happens to you? Look at what, my, what happened with Mike Tyson. Too big, too soon, too fast. And then it's very mentally draining. And if you're not prepared to handle that, then what do you do? Well, your ego takes over. And that's what happened to Mike Tyson. That's actually why he says he doesn't even really uh, like to hit the bag anymore. Yeah, I remember I he saw just— his, uh, his uh, interview with Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah, but He was I did. like, yeah, I don't like to hit the bag because it makes my ego inflate.
0: That's, that's incredibly self-aware to know that that's the thing that could, could trigger you to become the thing that you were before that you don't want to be again. To just know that if I hit the bag, I might become a monster again.
1: Yeah. How scary is that though? You know how, like to know, especially with power like that, because there's no doubt even now I, like that Mike Tyson, if I mean him were to spar that he would murder me, you know, um, you know, even though he's a little older, a little slower, he still knows what he's doing because that kind of shit's ingrained in you. You know, he like whenever he does his uh his one man show, he can still recite his combinations that his coaches used to yell out to him.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it does stick with you. I mean, you've been doing it for so long. Of course, it's going to be ingrained. It's muscle memory. You know, so even if you're I mean, so far set up, set away from it, and you know you haven't done it for years, I'm sure that if he had to right now, it, it could happen.
1: Oh, yeah. I I guarantee you that it would probably be like murdering a bike, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Once you kill the bike once, you never lose it. Like, um, yeah, it's it's just one of those things, like, especially, like, with, you know, that's the sad part about, like, guys who go the other way, though. He let his personal life just get destroyed, right? He wrecked his personal life. Too much money, too much fame, too fast, too young, coming from, like, a poor neighborhood, you know? Like, that was a perfect storm to make something that you didn't want to make. Yeah, man. Um, But then you have guys... Who change it and then they let their ego affect their art and then of course that affects all their students and that's where you get like these giant cult followings because this person might have been talented at one time but then now you get that what they call the black belt belly where they just sit back <laughs> and say I'm a black belt now and they never train and they never work on perfecting
0: anything um, we have our producer Lance here who never trained in martial arts uh, he actually has a question. It's, I always try to give him one. He, he's me, letting me know that he has one question. Um, All right, and cool. it's, it's always interesting to get his take as somebody who's never uh, picked up a nunchuck in his life. So Lance, what you got? <laughs> uh, oh, oops. Get so uh, my question is, um, since that you expose like, a lot of fake martial artists and whatnot, has any of the uh, no-touch-knockout people ever challenged you? Like, you know,
1: I've never had a no touch knockout person challenge me, but I do have like people from certain organizations challenge me often. Um, So, like, uh, for instance, there's a there's a group called the Bujinkan and Bujinkan is basically like the ninja group. Like, it's as funny as that sounds. (laughs) So whenever I post something up from the Bujinkan, I constantly get like it's not really a challenge. They're just kind of death threats. They're like, when I see you, I'm going to shoot you. I'm like, oh, shit. All right. Well, I mean, I would accept if we wanted to spar, if you wanted to fight, I'd be down for that. But whenever you start off the gate with, I'm going to kill you. Now, I don't want to accept anything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to show up and get shot, you know? Um, So that's, that's usually what happens. Or most of the time, the threats come from the student, not the instructor. So I'll call out the instructor. The instructor is smart enough to know that, by engaging, he's going to make it worse for himself. So they usually don't, but usually the student isn't smart enough. So they engage on in the name of the instructor and Mm. then they give me threats, you know? So it's, it happens all the time, unfortunately.
0: Wow. And, uh, so you, you've never, you've never had to, to encounter anyone in real life then that that's, ever said anything you never said somebody came to like an event that you've done or whatever and tried to say anything to you in real life
1: oh yeah i've had conflicts i just don't like i'm not one of those people that i think that we should fist fight our way through all of our issues
0: okay so you've been able to talk your way out of everyone that that's pretty pretty impressive
1: well it's not really i guess not really talking my way out it's just kind of helping them understand what they're doing you know like yeah like uh you know i've had plenty of fights but the thing is, is, like, what, does, what is that going to solve for this issue? You know, like, let's say hypothetically your instructor molested a 15-year-old girl. You're upset at me that I called out your instructor. You beat me up. Now what? Does that change the fact that he didn't molest a 15-year-old girl? Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's still wrong no matter if you beat me up or not or if I beat you up or not. That's not how things work. Uh, like how I like to compare it is think about the anti-smoking campaigns, the truth campaigns that happened. Yes. I think they're still going on. But whenever these people started doing the truth campaign, what they did was they didn't walk up to the head of Marlboro and punch him in the face. That wouldn't have solved anything. What they did was they put out. It would have released a lot of anger. That would have been nice. <laughs> Say that again.
0: As It would have released a little bit of anger. That would have been a little nice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like that they didn't do that. Right because that wouldn't have helped. But by them releasing all of these factual information over and over and over and over again, like this is bad for you, over and over and over again, the younger generation that's coming up looks at that and goes, you know what? I don't think I really want to do that. And now less people smoke. hmm yes. So now the goal is that. I can walk up and I can challenge all these people. Whoopity fucking do. Their students are not gonna care. Because wins and losses don't stop people from selling new students. You know what does? Information. Like, for instance, jiu-jitsu is more popular now than it really has ever been because of the UFC. Because of information. People saw that it worked. Now they want to do it.
0: Do you think that the age that we live in now where uh, uh, everyone wants to say everything else is fake news, do you think that uh, uh, hurts this, this trend at all? No.
1: I don't think so at all. I think that... Uh, Luckily, martial arts is one of those things that um, you can put some, you know, the proof is in the pudding, I guess you could say. So I could walk up to somebody and I can go, hey, knock me out with your mind. Ready, go. I am willing. I have a participant. Teach me. And when it doesn't work, it doesn't work. There's a, you know, there's nothing fake to that. Or if I walk up to somebody and I look at their background check and I can see if they molested a kid, what's there to admit, what's there to interpret you know what I'm saying? There's mm-hmm. nothing more more that needs to be said. That's why I stick to the five rules. Like I don't stray. Those five rules are standard.
0: So uh as we're winding down over here, um uh yeah. I wanna talk real quick about a lot of uh, self-defense videos that a lot of uh, companies have shown. Uh, I know you've you've shared a couple of them, uh, but it seems like major publications, things like Tech Insider, Business Insider, Cosmopolitan, Marie Claire, all of them have shared these uh, women's self-defense videos by uh, people who are not self-defense experts at all. Why do you think so many major companies and publications end up uh, sharing this content from these people that have no effective martial arts experience and are allowed to have a platform to share things that are counterproductive.
1: Hmm. So you're you're touching on something that pisses me off more than any of the other videos. Like if I, you know, most people, you look at somebody knocking someone out with your mind, you're skeptical, (laughs) you know, (laughs) to say the least. When you look at a major publication, like, let's use Marie Claire, by the way, since you said them, because that's probably one of the videos that pisses me off the most. But if you look at, like, Marie Claire, they literally picked out a fitness model and said, we want you to teach a self-defense course (laughs) for their video. That particular chick knew nothing about martial arts at all because I was able to contact her and talk to her. She told me that she knew nothing about martial arts and the shit that she taught, she made up. And when you look at the stuff on the video, it is made up. (laughs) Every last one of those things does not work. But because they were able to do it with a really good camera, they were able to do it with an attractive model, they were able to do it with uh, good editing, then people are sold, man. Oh my god, this is great. We need to show my friend. And that particular video goes viral, and it spreads true, like you were saying, misinformation. That kind of shit is scary. One. You cannot learn how to defend yourself in a weekend course. Sorry, ain't going to happen. If you go to a women's self-defense course, the next step for you should be to take that and sign up at a gym. Exactly. Sign up and start training. You have to be consistent. You have to work on it. You know, you can't graduate high school by going, you know what, I did this first two days, I'm good. You know, it doesn't work that way. That's not how you learn anything. So those kind of videos are the worst because people will believe them, you know, because they look at the the reputation – of the, the publication and they go, oh man, it's Marie Claire. So they have to be like legit.
0: Exactly. Like, I think that's the most all, egregious part. What's that? I think that's the most egregious part that you have the name of this, uh, big, big publication or big company and they, they trust you. They trust you. And then they're taking that for granted by, uh, by giving you this information that that's absolutely going to get you killed.
1: And well will hands down, like, because people are like, well, at least they're learning something. Well, that's not true because let's say somebody tries to steal my purse. (laughs) Not my purse personally, but (laughs) hey, if if, if you rock with a purse, I'm not judging. (laughs) And, um, you know, they, they run up and they grab my purse. If I don't know anything at all, they take my purse, they run away with it. I'm cool. I'm okay. Mm. If I saw this video online of purse self-defense taught by somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. And I'm like studying that with my boyfriend and he doesn't know any martial arts, so he's going along with it, and I'm having a good time learning this shit. Then all of a sudden, the next couple of weeks later, this is filling rain in my head, somebody grabs my purse, and I go, I know exactly what to do. And so you start engaging, and now they beat the shit out of you and will yeah. kill you when all they wanted was the purse. You know, like that misinformation is so, so dangerous. And it's just like, I mean, somebody's got to do something about that shit. Because uh, another one. Have you ever heard of a lady called Gabrielle
0: Rubin? Yes, I have. She's another New Yorker, so I'm hoping that I catch her in these streets because I have some questions.
1: Oh, man. Just horrific bad. Like, her rear naked choke defense is the worst thing I've ever seen in my goddamn life. You might as well just stab yourself in the chest <laughs> because what she's – it's, like, not good. Like, step one, lean forward. You're being choke yourself.
0: stupid? Choke yourself, you know? basically.
1: Yeah. Okay. So step one, choke yourself. You know. Step two, I think was she called it the the, the slot machine, which by giving it a name like that, I know like over 100,000 people are word immediately sold. Yes. You know, people who don't know, they go, oh, slot machine. I can remember that. Um, and then she's teaching the elbow the rib from your yes. naked choke. I'm sorry. One, you're too close for that elbow to be effective. So what's going to happen is your tricep is going to hit, not your elbow. And if you elbow me for real and I'm choking you, I'm just going to choke the shit out of you. Squeeze
0: harder. harder. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or like as Boz Rutten would say, I'm going to break your fucking neck.
0: <laughs> you know,
1: like just saying, like, again, I, I, those are the worst because those are the ones that see the most people. Those spread the hardest. Or oh, here's an even worse one. Five minute crafts. Oh, yes. Oh, the gosh. Worst piece of shit. I have ever seen. So somebody grabs you. So you like use a pressure point on their shoulder. To, that's going to stop them.
0: You had to hit spleen no, twenty three. You in the mouth. <laughs> you had to hit spleen twenty three and and abdomen thirty seven. <clears throat> and That's going to help you. Spleen <laughs> six, quick spleen six. Yeah, th- those are. The five minute crass one is, is the most surprising because, uh, they don't even have the excuse that a lot of other people from, you know, that are getting the Marie Claire video get, which is, Oh, Marie Claire, they've been around for a long time. They're a magazine. They're a big publication, whatever. Five minute crass is just this like Instagram or YouTube channel. And still somehow they have this huge impact that people are watching these videos and they're t- taking that as gospel.
1: Why is that happening? Oh, yeah. And they're, um, they're ruthless with their copyright shit. Oh, I man. posted their thing up and it's within minutes of me posting it up. Like I got blocked from like six different publications that they have. Mm. Like I posted it, it got taken down, hit for copyright infringement and immediately blocked by like six or seven different
0: companies. Do you, do you get was, like, flagged? Oh, shit. Do you get flagged often on Instagram and Twitter? Do, do they, do they constantly just, uh, uh, flag you well, and report to you?
1: Tag people anymore. Huh. Like I used to tag people. And then when I tag them, of course they see it, then they hit me up for copyright infringement, then it gets taken down, and then I'm back to square one. So yeah. what, I, what I have to do now is I basically have to – I'll, I'll uh, post it, and then I'll talk about it in the comment section and try to provoke thought for people to go look for themselves because, of course, if these people catch wind so quickly, they just take it down. And yeah. then what I do is useless.
0: So that, that's, I guess, one of the big things you've had to learn uh, while doing this is just uh, let, oh, it, let yeah. it sit in. And that's in, a learning
1: curve, too. Like, that's, that's one of those things where you're like, fuck, it's blocked. Like, let's say you post something up. Right now, they're a little more cool than they were for a while there. But you post something up, it gets hit for copyright infringement. You post something else up, and if that gets hit for copyright infringement, you get put in Instagram or Facebook jail for a while, and now you can't post for days.
0: Yeah, and I'm uh, assuming that has, has has had to have to you several times Then for this to, oh be, yeah, what it happened you, to be at
1: the worst opera, like times I put on the sparring match between a chick and a dude And uh, you know, he was talking shit online He was like women shouldn't learn self-defense because there's no way a woman could ever beat a man Oh, and gosh. I was like, I'm pretty sure I, I, I can find some women who would beat the shit out of you." <laughs> and he was like, you'll never find you'll never find a woman who'd be even willing to fight me granted This guy's never really trained So I was like, okay, well, how about you put your money where your mouth is? He goes, you could find a professional fighter. He said, still 80, 20, 80% in my favor. I was like, okay, you asked for it. But he didn't know I ran McDojo Life. So, of course, I put up $2,000 of my own money. And I was like, $2,000, anybody willing to spar this dude? And my inbox blew up. (laughs) And then it went viral on Reddit. And then. It was news articles in other languages were written about it. And I was like, oh, shit. No, <laughs> I God. have I started something. <laughs> um, and then the State Athletic Commission is starting to contact me. <laughs> and uh, it started to become a thing. Well, I, over the course of four weeks, I had to raise $6,000 for this match. And I was like, this is fucking awesome. So, of course, we meet up, and the State Athletic Commission shows up, and they're like, this is shut down. Like, you can't do this. It's like why not? They're sparring, and basically they basically said that because I was broadcasting it, which is Facebook Live, mm. that I wasn't supposed to be doing that. Which basically was another way of them saying we're not making any money, so you can't do this.
0: Exactly.
1: So fuck them. But in any case, the day before I was supposed to do go live on Instagram or Facebook with that fight, I got put in Facebook jail seven days. <laughs> so, luckily for me, though, whenever you make a, a event. You can post on the event even if you're not the person running the event. So oh. I just made a new account, and I still could have gone live. But we got shut down anyway. So we made it happen. He still wind up losing. He lost two in a row. He tapped first to cardio, and then he tapped to an arm bar.
0: Oh, God. God! How, how God, bad God. is
1: that when you tap to cardio? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's like uh, the breathe. old uh, uh, loss due to smothering.
1: <laughs> she was. She was like... He just, like, got the side control. As soon as she started getting into a dominant position, he literally verbally tapped. He said, I can't breathe, I'm done. I was like, you bitch. Like, all this build-up, all that shit talk. So, basically, like, we, we told him, hey, you're going to have to do this again. I'm not going to end it that way. And so, he's like, I'm going to throw up. I said, "Well, you throw up and you come back and we're going to do this. And so, he, he mustered himself back together. He shot in for what he said was an Iminari roll, which basically just kind of looked like him flopping around on the ground for the seizure. <laughs> and uh, he... Got to the position. She got the arm bar. It was over.
0: I still can't Iminari roll, and I've been doing jujitsu for years, man. So if this guy yeah. says that he's going to yeah. do it off the couch, he's either a liar or, or he's the next BJ Penn. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, I'm not even going to attempt that shit because it terrifies me. Yeah. always worried something to kick me in the face accidentally.
0: <laughs> or you just look like an asshole. That, that's, for yeah, me, like that's the guy. worst case scenario. <laughs> I could get a, a kick to the that face. Works. A shin to the face isn't yeah, the that big of a deal. Yeah,
1: up and watch you roll around on the floor like, I wonder what he's doing. Huh. <laughs> Sprawl, you know, belly. So
0: before we go, uh, why don't you tell the people what you're working on or what's coming next for uh, McDojo Life? I know you mentioned the documentary. Uh, anything you could tell us about that before we get out of here?
1: Well, yeah, so um, me and the guys from a thing called Mexican Martial Arts.
0: Oh, um, yes. You may
1: have seen. Very nice guys. Have, uh, I, yeah, they're fucking awesome. But I've been working with them for a long time. We're like we've been homies for a while, and uh, you know we give each other advice, we help each other out, we uh, we do content for each other sometimes. Great guys, but they they run a full studio. Like it's not just M X A martial arts. They have a full production team. That's what they do full time. And so they um, and I have gotten together, and I decided I think that they would be the best fit to be my production crew because they do they do martial arts stuff. They all train stuff like that. So. We're, uh, we're doing the documentary right now. Probably within the next three weeks, we'll have the trailer. Then we're going to take that trailer, which they consider called a sizzle reel. Then we're going to take that we pitch it to a network. Um, and if the network buys it, um, then we're going to have all the, all the funding that we need to go everywhere we want to go. Um, and show martial arts from around the world is just crazy. Um, we already have some footage, which is cool. And then we just take all that, we put it together in a cohesive story, and then we'll have probably an hour and a half documentary. Of uh, fake martial arts, where it all started, where it all comes from, who's in charge of it, who does what, why it happens, all the information that people should really know before they sign up for a martial arts studio.
2: Um,
1: so that'll be fun. So that should be released this year, um, probably the end of the year. Nice. Uh, websites coming out. Uh, talking to my website developer now, and basically it's going to be like the car facts for martial arts studios. So whenever somebody's looking to get into a martial arts studio, they can go to my website. Look them up and find out all the pertinent information they should know before they sign up, Um, which I think will help a lot of people.
0: And what will that website Uh, be?
1: uh, I think we tentatively set the start date for that. What are we in? February? Yes. Or March now. Uh, Oh, shit. It is March. Time flies. Yes. We talked about the end of March, but just to be realistic, uh, probably April is when that will drop.
0: Great. All right. And uh, they, they'll be able to find more information, updates on that. Where?
1: On my website. They can find me pretty much anywhere. They can find me. Uh, it'll be McDojo Life on any social media. So Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, uh, Patreon, uh, and, uh, and pretty much any social media. That's where I, I live. <laughs> but just look up McDojo Life. If you throw a stick, you'll probably hit my page.
0: Great, great. And uh, support that, Patreon listeners. And then you, do you guys have merch as well right now?
1: Yes, sir. So every month, which is actually another pillar of the company, thank you for saying that, uh, every month we release a new artist series of, of uh, merchandise. So it's uh, I have a new artist who's a martial artist as well as an artist, and they do a series of what their interpretation of McDojo Life's brand should look like. And so every month it's brand new, uh no spats uh rash guard t-shirt hat socks all that stuff um and that's released once a month with a new artist which speaking of which since it's the new month my next line of apparel is released this week
0: nice nice you got a super upper punch exclusive right here
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i really uh i really appreciate you guys having me on man
0: thank you thank you very much uh, one more, last quick question before you go uh when you went to chop and chops mma did you think they were going to be bullshit
1: no. Oh, okay. You know, I, uh, yeah, I went to go train. Um, I I just happened to, because I've been invited to that studio before. Um, every time I had been in New York, I got that invite. Oh, wow. And uh, any time I get the invite, I'm like, you know what, I really should go. And then finally I had the time, so I just went. And I was just going to stop by and say, hey, um, and then appreciate the invite. Um, but, you know, everybody was so cool. I felt comfortable. I was like, you know, I can train here. Because I have that problem where I go to train at places and people just try to beat me up. Because you're, you're the guy. You're the guy. They think I'm, you know. They really think that I'm there to like call them out, which I'm not usually. If you, you'll know. If I show up with a big ass camera and I start getting in your face, that's when <laughs> me I'm calling you out. You know, like if I'm just showing up with a gee, I'm just here to train.
0: <laughs> Man. And uh, well, uh, I look forward to you coming back to New York. Uh, Let me know. We could uh, throw on the gloves, maybe do some sparring. Definitely no gi though. I don't fuck with that shit anymore. It's too heavy. Especially when it gets to summertime. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you very much again. Thank you for your patience earlier today. Appreciate you coming on everybody. Follow Rob and uh, McDojo life on all social media. Check out their Patreon and check out all their merch uh thank everyone for our listeners and uh you could follow us on at super Upper punch on instagram that's the only social media we got right now because i'm a one trick pony i don't got time for twitter and facebook like that anymore mm-hmm. but uh you could always make sure to hit that subscribe and like and check out all the other podcasts on the gifted sounds network rob once again thank you so much for having to, uh for coming on
1: Hey, thank you, man. And whenever this is up, I'll share it for sure. So thank you so much.
0: Awesome. Appreciate it. Uh, For all of our listeners, we'll see you next time. Peace.